0: Hello, everyone. I want to take a few moments to talk before starting the episode. It is March 21st, 2020. We are in the middle of some very strange times, and I hope you are okay. We're in the middle of a pandemic. I hope you are okay health-wise. I also hope you're okay mentally and emotionally. Right now, lots of people are basically indoors, basically in their houses, And that can be very difficult to deal with. Um, I myself have been working from home for just over a week. Uh, I've been in my house with my wife and my cat. And I love my wife and my cat. But we thrive on community. And those could be coworkers, friends, family, what have you. Even random people you see at the gym or the bar. And not having that community takes a toll. I also hope that you are okay financially. Right now, we are in the beginnings of what looks to be a major economic crisis. Businesses like restaurants, cafes, bars, retail, they are closed. In this past week, I know a lot of people who work in those industries who have been laid off and they have nowhere else to go because if you lose a restaurant job right now, it's not like there's another restaurant that's going to hire you. If you lose a retail job... It's not like there's another shop you can work at. It's all shuttered. And that is going to be an enormous problem for all of us very quickly. It's also something that's affected me pretty directly. When last we talked, I was very excited about my upcoming event at Powell's Books, the greatest bookstore in the world. I was going to read from my book, Storied and Scandalous, Portland, Oregon, and talk about, you know, the process of writing it and Portland history. And hopefully I was going to see some of you and sign your books and all of that, that is not happening. Powell's has canceled all of their programming through April. And they have also shut their doors and laid off quite a bit of their staff, which is the case for so, so many businesses right now. So I have a favor to ask of you. If you want to buy my book, Do not buy it from Amazon, buy it from Powell's. There will still be Amazon.com after this crisis. And, you know, Amazon, it's gigantic, it's convenient, I have used it, but it does not contribute to the character of communities in the way that local businesses do. When I was growing up in Portland, Oregon, and when I was going to Lincoln High School in downtown Portland, Oregon, Powell's was one of my hangout spots. I enjoyed going there and thumbing through science fiction novels, comic books, history books, and even buying those books sometimes. And it was a great place not only to obtain knowledge, but also to just be. And I think I speak for all authors when they say that they have a particular emotional connection to their favorite bookstore. If you're in a position to buy books now, and I know a lot of people are not in a position to buy much of anything, but if you are, buy my book from Powell's and buy other books from your local bookstore if they are doing e-commerce. We are in serious, serious danger of losing a lot of local businesses, of losing places that contribute to the character and well-being of all of our communities. It'll be a tragedy if, after this is over, We still have big faceless chains and nothing against big faceless chains. I have spent more than a few hours in like Barnes and Noble and that kind of thing. But there is nothing like a local business where where the owner and the person at the cash register could very well be the same person. So again, order storied in scandalous Portland, Oregon from Powell's. Support your local businesses if you're in a position to do so. They need you right now. And now we're getting to the episode, and I just want to say one more thing before we start. Yes, I am still continuing with the 1812 series. I'm going to be honest with you. After all this news was ramping up, um, I started just reading about coronavirus. Um, I put down all of the other stuff that I was like into all the other books I was reading and I just started consuming news article after news article and podcast after podcast about everything that we're going through and I thought you know maybe I shouldn't talk about the war of 1812 right now why is that important you know maybe I should pivot and do a series on the 1918 flu pandemic or you know, other historical diseases like the Black Death or something else, or, I don't know, history of epidemiology or that kind of thing. Like, my current project just didn't seem dire. But then I thought about how I'm consuming all this news, all this media about this big crisis that is just destroying so much, and it was stressing me out. Like, I was in bed at night, staring at the ceiling, my heart pounding. And I was thinking about all the people who are going to die or lose their jobs, everything that we're going to lose in the coming weeks and months and year or years. And I realized that I cannot live in that space. And I realized that a lot of other people cannot live in that space for a prolonged period of time. We need a I don't want to say escape because this is a nonfiction podcast about very real things that are relevant and are not escapist at all, but we need some sort of refocusing. We need to be able to think about other things. And I realized that I need to stop reading article after article about coronavirus, stop listening to podcasts that are all about public health crises and economic fallout, and I need to put my head somewhere else. And I think you might need that too. So I'm not going to talk about the 1918 flu pandemic. I'm not going to talk about the Black Death. I'm not going to talk about the discovery of penicillin, which is a fun story. You might've heard it. I am going to keep talking about a war that a lot of Americans don't really pay attention to. And if you are out on a walk and you are listening to me and you are maintaining good social distance from everybody else who is walking about at least six feet, please enforce your personal bubbles and all that. Uh, I hope that this podcast is a source of respite for you. You might be in a headspace where you've lost your job or you are thinking about the health of yourself or your loved ones, or there are all these things outside of your control that are just weighing you down, I want to offer you a little bit of an escape. So here's your chance to escape to the early 1800s, brought to you by a stressed out, anxious podcaster who wants to escape from our present moment just as much as you do. Welcome to the Weird History Podcast. I'm Joe Streckert. This podcast is independent and ad free because of your listener support. Become a listener supporter by going to WeirdHistoryPodcast.com. Last episode, I talked about a few of the surface level reasons for the War of 1812, and after that episode, you might have the impression that Britain was entirely at fault and that the war was wholly a product of British naval aggression against the United States. The British Empire was impressing American sailors, cutting off American trade routes, and the young U.S. had no choice but to act defensively, to strike out against its former colonial masters and assert its sovereignty as a new nation. If you were to open up an encyclopedia, or to read a popular history of the War of 1812, That is mostly the reason that a lot of them are going to give for why the war happened in the first place. Now, that's not wrong. The War of 1812 did indeed happen because of British naval aggression, and I don't want to give you the impression that I'm feeding you some kind of revisionist history or some radical, unrevealed secret history. What I want to do here is give you a complete picture, because there were other things that the United States was concerned with at the time. And there were other ways that Britain was antagonizing or at least perceived to be antagonizing the U.S. We also have to talk about American expansionism. At the time, in the early 1800s, plenty of American interest wanted to expand into the Northwest. And when I say Northwest, I do not mean the current Northwest of Oregon, Washington, Idaho, and British Columbia, and sometimes Alaska. I mean, the old Northwest of what is now Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, and Michigan. It was Northwest of the U.S. at the time. And if you've ever wondered why Chicago, which is in the Midwest, has a college called Northwestern, that is why. Now, the United States wanted to expand into this region, but trouble is, like many other parts of North America before settlers got there, it was already occupied by various native groups now i want to be careful here and not give you the impression that the native american groups of the old northwest were a monolith plenty of them were happy to live alongside american settlers a lot of them were indifferent some even welcomed it several had treaties and agreements with various american interests and settlers and the like in that region. But there were several others that wanted nothing to do with the United States and were very happy to violently resist American colonialism and expansion. The most notable example of Native American resistance to American expansion was a confederation led by Tecumseh and Tenskwatawa. They were brothers, and Tecumseh, he was a Shawnee leader. He'd had a pretty extensive military career, fighting against the United States. Uh, During the American Revolution, for instance, the Shawnee were allies of the British fighting against the Americans. And even after the revolution, Tecumseh and his guys continued fighting against the Americans. While many Native American groups were happy to sign treaties and agreements with American settlers and expansionists, Tecumseh was not. And joining him was his brother Tenskwatawa, Tecumseh was a military and political leader. Tenskwatawa was an ideological and religious leader, and I am probably saying his name wrong. And we don't have a written manifesto of Tenskwatawa's beliefs, but he appears to have been something of a... Puritan? He urged his followers to reject integration with non-native settlers. He also urged people to give up tools of foreign corruption like alcohol and also like farming technology. And he encouraged them to unite and reject and fight against American expansion. And Tecumseh and Tenskwatawa were pretty successful in getting a growing confederation of different diverse groups to all band together, have a sense of shared identity, which they had not had before, and fight against the invaders. And by the way, you are probably imagining at this point them fighting against the American army or cavalry or something. And that does happen. But I should add that Tecumseh and Tenskwatawa's first battles and first big successes were when they were fighting against other Native American groups. Groups that had signed treaties or agreements with the United States, or had political or ideological disagreements with Tecumseh and Tenskwatawa. Like I said, I do not want to give you the impression that Native American groups were a monolith. In the War of 1812 in particular, a lot of different Native groups are going to ally and play politics and fight alongside with both British and American forces, for all kinds of reasons. Now, now, Tecumseh and his confederation, it's not like they start fighting the U.S. in 1812. Last episode, I talked about how War of 1812 is kind of a misnomer because it goes all the way to 1815. Well, it goes backward in the other direction as well. Tecumseh and Tenskwatawa, they start fighting against William Henry Harrison's forces as early as 1810, William Henry Harrison being the territorial governor at the time. And yes, that William Henry Harrison, uh, the guy who would later become president and die ingloriously about a month into his administration. He's a territorial governor right now, and Tecumseh is able to give him the runaround and have a great deal of military success from 1810 until 1811, when Harrison finally beats him at the Battle of Tippy Canoe. You know that phrase, Tippy Canoe and Tyler II? That's where this comes from. That was a decisive defeat for Tecumseh, his brother Tenskwatawa, and that defeat apparently broke the relationship between the two brothers. Tenskwatawa, the spiritual and ideological leader, went up to Canada after the battle, and for a bit, it looked like armed Native American resistance against American expansionism was broken. But we'll see Tecumseh again. And you might be wondering, what does this have to do with the United States going to war with Great Britain? Well, here's the thing. I mentioned earlier that Shawnee, Tecumseh's people, sided with Great Britain during the American Revolution. And that political alliance held up for some years even after the American Revolution. See, Britain had an alliance of convenience with several Native American groups In the region that were hostile to the united states and this was not just tecumseh and company this was a lot of different groups britain was happy to sell guns and do business with native american populations who had no love for the us now this was not because the british empire was really woke and wanted to empower indigenous resistance this was because britain wanted to use native americans as kind of a balance and buffer state Against the US. They wanted them to check the US. Recall, Canada, which we'll talk about in a moment, still existed, and the British Empire wanted something of a buffer state between the United States and Canada. Also, the United States was expanding. As long as Native Americans are there, making trouble for the US, well, that is a potential competitor on the North American continent that Britain has to worry about. Slightly less. Also, the British administered some stuff directly, but they did a lot through subordinates in areas that they conquered. So instead of wholly and completely wiping out and erasing existing power structures, they would co opt it. They would curry favor with, make alliances with, pay off, exploit, and otherwise use whatever elites were already in a region and turn them into agents of their own imperial power and this is what they're doing there and a lot of americans knew this a lot of americans knew that native americans in the old northwest particularly the native american groups that were hostile and even violent about american expansion were being funded and armed by britain so the thinking went if the united states was able to remove british support for native american groups in the old northwest the United States would have a much easier time rolling into that territory, doing a colonialism, killing a bunch of indigenous people, and taking their stuff. So, that's happening. And Canada's a thing. Prior to the War of 1812, American expansionists and war hawks wanted to kick the British out of North America entirely. There were plenty of expansionists who really honestly did want the United States, to extend all the way up into Canada. One member of Congress put it rather poetically, the author of Nature himself had marked our limits in the south by the Gulf of Mexico and on the north by the regions of eternal frost. Which is an entirely superficial reason for wanting to take over a place. You know, it's like you're playing Civilization and you just want to expand so that the entire map is yours, It's just not a way you should actually new countries but john randolph roanoke a senator from virginia at the time said of the mounting tensions between the united states and great britain quote, agrarian greed not maritime right urges this war we have heard but one word like the whippoorwill's one monotonous tone canada 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 unquote and no less than thomas jefferson at this point a former president said quote, the acquisition of Canada this year, as far as the neighborhood of Quebec, will be a mere matter of marching, and will give us the experience for the attack on Halifax, the next and final expulsion of England from the American continent, Now, this might sound crazy to you, but I will remind you that the United States just basically doubled in size with the Louisiana Purchase, so the idea that another substantial section of North America would suddenly become part of or at least the property of the united states was not too crazy now you take over canada though but what do you do with it i also want to emphasize that lots of american interests were divided about this there were some people who wanted to take over canada and use it as a bargaining chip you have a bunch of british territory and british citizens and british property and if you have that you can go to the negotiation table with the British Empire and get some pretty good deals out of them. So not everybody was thinking that this is the United States' natural boundaries, all the way from the Gulf of Mexico to the regions of Eternal Frost. Plenty of folks thought this could be a potential hostage, a British hostage, right in our backyard. And hey, we're having some kind of difficulties with them with regards to boat stuff and arming Native Americans— We can get a good deal out of these guys. Now, I want to add again: none of what I've talked about in these past two episodes is the one true cause of the War of 1812. It's naive to say that it was caused by British impressment of American sailors, or caused by trade issues, or caused by American desire for native land or for Canada, or caused by Britain's alliance of convenience with Native American groups in the Old Northwest. It was not caused by any one of those things. It was caused by a whole lot of things happening in concert with each other. None of them were the cause of the war. They were causes of the war. And all those things happening at the same time and playing off each other helped create America's first ever declared war. And the War of 1812, like a lot of other crises, was the result of a lot of things going wrong at the same time. A lot of systems happening and breaking at the same time, accumulating together and stressing everything until there is a breaking point. Next episode, the breaking point. The U.S. will declare war on Britain, and the decision to do so will be political, it'll be acrimonious, and it will be very, very partisan. Like I said before, please be there for your community, if you can, Find a way to support the people who need supporting. We can get through this. It's going to be difficult, and things will maybe look real strange when we get to the other side of it. But this isn't the apocalypse. This is a crisis. We can do crisis. We can do hard things. Talk to you next time. Bye.